Well, it is good for us to be back here together again, and by us, I mean we. Um, I've had the opportunity to be gone uh, for 17 days with two other people from this church, a board, um, board member named um, Bruce Withers, and then also a friend of ours, Lane uh, Taylor, a member at large. We went to Zimbabwe, Africa, uh, on the continent of Africa, uh, anyway, and we spent some time there ministering and getting to know um, some people there. Um, it is time for us, 10 years in, to determine where it is we're going to begin to get involved globally as a church. Where will we do foreign missions so that we recognize that we're part of something bigger? And the Vineyard USA says it's important for you to decide by going someplace, putting your feet on the ground, and saying, hey, Lord, is this where you want us to be? And so um, that's what we looked at. Now, I'm not going to spend the next uh, moments of your life showing you pictures from Africa and telling you how good, bad, or indifferent it was. That's not my goal this morning. We are wrapping up our sermon series um, called The Art of Racing in the Storm. Now, the purpose of this sermon series is, and we recognize the race while we use race cars, Paul is saying that we have been called to run the race that the Lord has marked out for us. The course is set, and we are to run the race. So the metaphor of running the race is you and I going through our everyday life, and what does it mean for you and I to run this race and to run it well? How do we succeed at running this race? And we've been talking about different ways that that happens. Now, it just so happens that I'm going to share a couple of things out of this last trip, just a little bit, because it, um, it is all about how we wrap this series up, okay? So we're talking about running in the storm and not like what happens when your spouse dies or we're talking about what happens when the circumstances of your life change all of a sudden and you're still running, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's not so bad. So the concept of rain is like, we have to slow down. We've got to change tires. We've got to make sure we've got a good pit crew. And you've got to stop and say, how do I run the race that's marked out for me if the weather's nice and everything's going my way? But how do I run this race when there's a struggle? You know, when my marriage, you know, maybe we're kind of at each other a little bit and I don't know why, or, or maybe we've overspent just a little bit and we've got to stop, slow down and rein things back in so that we get get back on track or, you know, you, you got fired from a job. Okay. And, and I've been there before. I've been fired from a job. And it's like, okay, so how do you step up and say, now, how do we run life's race this way? What changes need to be made when the circumstances of your everyday race change? And will you make them? Because you can't run them the way that you have been running them. And so I just want to start with this idea that when ordinary people do something extraordinary, they show that they are kingdom citizens. And that's what's going to be important to us, okay? So I want to take a scripture, um, fairly familiar scripture for some people, but it wasn't always familiar for me. So if I say, I'm going to take a very familiar scripture, and you say, I have never heard of that scripture before in my life. Um, please don't be offended. There was a time that I hadn't heard of this scripture before in my life. But it's a fairly familiar story, even to non-Christian people. It's found in the book of Luke. It's found in chapter 10. Now, for me personally, I'm going to read it out of this thing, okay? You may not know what this is, um, some of you, um, but this is called a book. 
okay? This is what a real book looks like. It has pages that you flip like this, okay? Like that's really awesome. This particular book is called a Bible. Um, and, and, and Jesus did not carry a Bible. Um, he lived it out, obviously, but he did not absolutely carry one. And I do not think it um, um, wrong to think that Jesus would open up his cell phone and turn to you version and um, open up to uh, the book of Luke if he was with us today. Um, I, don't, I don't think that wouldn't be the case at all. Okay, he might. So just know that it's always going to show up on the screens when you're here. You can find it on version in your um, um, phone, um, but I'm going to use this thing right here. And I want to read this story um, that you may know as the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, that's the story that we're going to look at today. And I want to apply it to the idea, the art of racing in the storm, racing with compassion. The last sermon that I want to preach in this sermon series is the fact that you and I have been called to run our lives, and we've been called to run it with compassion. And that's going to be incredibly important to us. So let's look at this scripture in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is not an untypical uh, uh, thing to happen in Jesus's life, but it's important that you not read past this, but that you stop and you say, what on earth is going on? Because too, too many people will ignore what's going on in the scripture, okay? A man has walked up to Jesus. And this man is referred to as an, ex, an expert in the law. He knows the Old Testament law, 613 commandments inside and out. He knows them backwards, forward, and he teaches them. An expert in the law is somebody who teaches them. And he says, what do I have to do to, to uh, gain eternal life? And that's a question that all of us will have. It certainly is one that we embraced while we were over on the continent of Africa. Just for the record, Africa is not a country. Okay? I want you to grab a hold of that. It's a continent. Okay? There are many countries on the African continent. But you don't go to Africa. You go to the African continent. But anyway, we, we interacted with this question over there as well. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We all want to know. The sad part is some people want to know what they want to do, what we must do. Some people want to know how much do I have to do. And the question really is how little can I get away with and still get to heaven? That's what they want to know. And so this young man comes up to Jesus, and, or this man comes up to Jesus, this expert in the law, and he says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read the law? And he says, uh, the scripture says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Isn't it interesting that this is the exact same thing that Jesus said when some experts in the law came up to him and said, hey, which are the greatest commandments? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if this man was there, if he understood that, but it's a thing. And he answered the exact same way that Jesus answered in another situation. And Jesus said, hey, you've done well. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And we always want to justify ourselves. We go through life every single day and we say, well, I'm a Christian, but... And we begin to justify ourselves. See? And this guy wanted to justify himself, and he says, well, if I'm to love my neighbor as myself, then who's my neighbor? He could have just as, as easily said, well, then how do I love myself without being a narcissist? How do I do that? But instead he said, who's my neighbor? Because we all want to see what we can get away with. And if he can simply come to this place where he says, well, my neighbor is only this one guy, but Jesus doesn't do that. 
Jesus begins to tell this story, and it's important that we see what is going on here, okay? He begins to tell this story. He says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, in reply, says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers, all right? They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. You've heard that term before, right? You know, you, you, you got sassy with your dad, and he said, listen, I will beat you half dead. Okay, it's a biblical statement your father's making. Okay, I, I, I'm just saying. He's trying to be righteous. He says, I'm going to beat you half dead if you don't get your room clean. But anyway, that being said, they leaving him half dead, they left. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw them, him there, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he took the man on his own donkey took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, look, look after him. And he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert of the law said, the one that had mercy on him. And Jesus said, then go and do likewise. And so it's important that we grab a hold of this passage and we see what's going on. A man is trying to justify himself, and every one of us at some point will try to justify ourselves when somebody invites us to church, invites us to the Easter, wants to pray, talks to us about Jesus, asks us when we surrendered our life to Christ, and we begin to make justifications for it. Well, I did it when I was seven years old, but I haven't lived, you know, a, a very good life, but, you know, at least I did it when I was, we've been to get, we begin to justify ourselves like what we did when we were seven was a ticket to heaven. When the fact of the matter is, um, um, surrendering your life to Jesus is the beginning of a relationship, not the end of a purchase. Does that make sense to you? It's not the end of a purchase and now everything's tucked away no matter what you do. It's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ in which you will walk with him, surrendering your life to him, not accepting him as your savior, but surrendering to him as your savior. And therefore, when you get up off your knees from surrendering him, you say, what now, Lord? You don't say, Lord, do this for me. I have expectations. You don't do that. And so we've got this, this, this scripture. Now, the things that I want to share with you is this. You can't lose sight of the, uh, the passage. Number one, don't lose sight of this passage, please. You see what's going on. Jesus is using a metaphor. What happened was an expert in the law walked up to him and asked a very, very specific question, and he wanted a very, very specific answer. And so Jesus began to work on this very, very specific answer. And it's important to understand that uh, we live in a world of people that will twist a passage in a heartbeat to make it say what they want it to say so that they can get you to do what they want you to do. They will just say, hey, I can apply every single passage to every single person on the planet. Every single thing written in the Bible applies specifically to every single person. I want to tell you that that is not true. Okay? You say, now hold on a second. Now before you call me a heretic, let's just pick a passage. Judas went straight out and killed himself, hung himself. Now let's just start applying that to every person on the planet. What do you mean, no? It's in the scripture. It says right in the Bible. And so what do you say? Well, that applied to the circumstance. And so therefore, we've got to know what the context of the Scripture. Okay, I've got that. So you're absolutely right. So that one doesn't apply because God came that we might have life and have it abundantly, not that we might hang ourselves from the tree. We all can agree on that. All right, then let's go to a different one, okay? Sell everything you've got, give to the poor, and come and follow me. 
oh, Brother Joe, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me either. No, 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 you don't understand. Jesus was talking to a rich young man. And I'm going to tell you that theologically, the rich young man had a problem with his wealth and he was trusting it to get him into heaven. And he believed that the more he had in his 401k, the smarter, the brighter, the more spiritual he was. And therefore, this one doesn't apply to me directly. <laughs> At what point do they apply to you then? Oh, they apply to me when they're the ones that I want to hear. That's usually the way we approach them in America. And I'll tell you why. Because we will cling to the scripture that promises everything right now and costs nothing. And we'll grab a hold of that and say, this one is for me. Let me give you another example. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. And those of you that call this church, you know that I will beat that one to death. That is a prophecy spoken and fulfilled. That was spoken in Jeremiah 29, and it was fulfilled 70 years after it was spoken. And it was not a blessing. It was, in fact, a curse. And if you don't believe me, and please don't take my word for it, open up your Bible and read it. Because God was saying through the prophet Jeremiah, I'm telling you right now, you are going to stay here for another 70 years, and you will not see what I have in store, but your children. I know the plans that I have for them, declares the Lord, plans to prosper them and not to harm. Oh, wait a minute. Well, that one applies to me. Yeah, but Joe, you don't understand. That one does apply to me. Why? Because it promises everything right now and costs, uh, I mean, uh, excuse me, yeah, yeah, it promises me everything right now and costs me nothing. See, we pick the ones that we're comfortable with. And it's important that when we read this story about the Good Samaritan, we understand that what's going on is it's a test. Don't lose sight of the fact that a man has walked up to Jesus, who's an expert in the law, and he wants to test him. He wants to find a reason to throw rocks at him and have him killed. And so he asks a question, and I love that. This is about God. It is not about you necessarily or I. It is about God, and it is about you and I to the point that it says this is what God expects of you. And when God begins to expect, then our lives, has to, our lives have to be transformed. There has to be a transformation, and that's what's missing. This passage is about what God says, and it's about loving people. The second thing that I run into is this passage is about you and I running in everyday life. When we look at this story, we recognize this man is no different than you and I. When you look at this story, you see these people going to church, you see the pastor, you see the worship leader, whatever you want to call them, and you see them moving, you see the Christian people, and they see the, the drug addict over in the, the, the gutter, and we might say things like, well, they got what they deserved, well, they should have done better with their money, well, they should have done this, they should have done that, but we look at them and we say, this is what should have been, and God is saying, all I want you to do is to have compassion. And just for the record, when Jesus says, but a Samaritan came along, he literally slapped the Jew. Jewish um, expert in the law in the face. When he begins to set the Samaritan as better than the Jewish man, the Jewish expert in the law, he begins to slap him in the face theologically. It's an affront. And he says, this is the deal. And so this man, the, the, the pastor, the worship leader, they're all going through their everyday lives. And the point of the matter is we are running our races so fast that we don't, time, we don't have time to help the people next to us. See, running this race is going to be very, very important. And Jesus didn't make up superhero metaphors. He made up metaphors that were everyday life. He didn't say, Superman came down from um, Krypton, and he landed in Smallville, and he burst forth from a little shell ship, and um, then he was on the earth, and then he doesn't make up stories about things that aren't. When Jesus tells a parable, he makes up a story that has a point to it about things that are. People did get beat up. 
People did get robbed. People were in need. People were hungry. People wanted a cup of cold water. All of these things that Jesus said. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, when are you going to do something about it? You are living your life so fast. It's, it's an ongoing uh, problem with our humanity. It doesn't matter which society or what year. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was speaking to people about living their lives so busy that they didn't have time to do the things of the kingdom of God. They wanted to call themselves the people of God, but they did not have time to do the things that God was asking them to do, love people. And so we see this picture, and God is saying, hey, slow down, slow down, slow down. When I was over there in Zimbabwe, that is one of the things that did happen that I did get to hear God say, and that is that life has got to be about uh, a people and that this church has got to be about people and making a difference in central Kentucky. And we have got to make sure that the budget of this church reflects that it's about people, that the people that we hire, that we recognize the church is about people. We have got to take care of people, not business. And we need to do this. Third thing is that this passage focuses, I just said, on everybody being too busy, and we all have excuses. But, 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 but. What will you say when you see Jesus? The fourth thing that I want to share with you is Jesus was dead serious. We don't always take that into account. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he was dead serious. He expected it. He was eternally serious in how he answered the question to that young man. He asked him a question. Uh, um, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He said, love God and love your neighbor. And he challenges us in that, that we need to understand that our neighbor is anybody that we see that is in need that we can do something about. And you say, I know, but I can't solve the whole problem. God's not asking you to solve this whole, the whole problem. I learned that in Zimbabwe this last month. And, and that is that, that God said to me while I was there, looking at the, the collapse of an economy, the collapse of politics. You think things are bad in this country. The politics over there are awful. And, and, and nobody seems to care about the people of the country. And it's just collapsing right and left. And I said, God, what are you going to do? And he said, Joe, think of it this way. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And you will have accomplished something great. Stop looking at the great big thing and saying, I can't solve the whole problem. And start saying, God, what do you want me to do? How shall I move forward? One of the things that we got to do well, before I get there, when you're erasing, it is incredibly important that you and I decide that we're going to stay focused on what Jesus said Jesus actually means. And loving people around us, regardless of who they are, we, we don't have to affirm people's sin, whatever sin it is. I'm not picking out one sin in order to love them. We can love them and say, hey, this is not the life that God has for you. It's just we've got to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ has never, ever, 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 ever been a rock. It has always been an invitation to something greater than people dared to dream for their own lives. So when we're running this race, finishing is more important than finishing first. That's the life that we've been given, okay? We're racing, and sometimes it's important to look around and see the guy in the ditch, to see the guy struggling, and to be willing to do something. Because in this race, to make a difference is going to be the most important thing because being first is not the goal. Being faithful is the goal. 
While we were in Africa, excuse me, while we were on the African continent, um, I saw some things that I will never forget, and I saw some things that I will make sure that I never forget. I saw some absolutely amazing things, and I saw some things that absolutely wrecked my heart. Somebody asked me last night at the party, they said, uh, um, your trip to Africa, I didn't have the argument with them about the continent, and they just said, your trip to Africa in five words. I almost fell over dead. You know I can't say anything in five words. (laughs) While I'm struggling, I almost had a heart attack and fell on the floor. So much anxiety. Five words. Absolutely incredible. Broke my heart. That became the five words. Absolutely incredible. Broke my heart. We recognize that there are those around us that have a hard time racing sometimes. And I didn't have to go over to the African continent to figure that out. I didn't. Because there are people here that do that as well, but we'll get to that. There are people all around us running this race that you and I are running called life, and they are struggling. And some of it is of their own making. But you know what? In the economy of God, that does not matter. If it does matter, then it matters when he's giving to you as well. And we have no right to ask of God if, he's not, if we're not willing to be used by him to give to somebody else that knows that they've made a mistake, they're living the mistake, they need a hand up, they need help. And we're there to give them the help. But there are people all around you and I dropping, dying, and they're sick, and they're not all old. While I was over there in Zimbabwe, I sat in a home, uh, excuse me, in the home group, and in the home group a mother was testifying. Somebody said, Let's all tell God what we're thankful for. And she said, I am so thankful to God that both of my children have tested negative for HIV. Neither one of them was HIV positive. That's what she was celebrating. And she's sitting in a room telling people, I'm positive. In a country where more than 50% of the people will test positive for HIV, and it is not because they are all sexually immoral. They have been beaten, they have been raped, they have been pillaged, all kinds of things have happened, and it has begun to trickle down. But when somebody says they're HIV positive, you cannot in that country automatically assume it's sexual immorality. And this woman was celebrating that her children had a chance. You, if I can say it this way for the next couple of minutes, because you sent us over there, you fed almost 300 children at a government school with with a scientifically designed drink full of milk, protein, and vitamins. The first picture looked like this. You pull out a phone for these little children and they come running and they take my picture, take my picture, come on, take my picture. And then they say, oh, that's me. Or they say, hey, you look funny. (laughs) This is what it looked like when it was time to feed them. It was all of the children. It was a school that, that served preschool. They call it zero, zero, all the way to sixth grade. The only ones that got food were the 250 to 300 children from 00 to third grade because they didn't have enough. The church that we went over there to partner with did not have the money because the economy has collapsed and is in bad condition and they could only feed up to third grade. I fed, there are children in that picture that will not live past 14 or 15 years age. They will starve to death. 
That's how bad things are over there. And I said, Lord, this is one school. And he said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do that. I'll say you over and over again. You preach the gospel of truth to a new vineyard church in Harare called Vineyard Metropolitan. A young man has launched a church and there are about 20 people in his living room. When we walked in, we attended one church and then zipped over to his church. I preached at his church. They did worship and then they went out into the courtyard and they asked me to preach to them. So I got to preach the gospel on the African continent. I can die now. I can't. It felt good. And from there, we took the leaders of that church out to dinner because I knew for a fact that they would not have a decent meal. I asked Bruce Withers, who was with me, who's one of the board members of this church, I said, do you think that there's any way that we can stretch the budget just a little tiny bit and you and I can make the decision here today and we can take all of these people out to dinner that are on his leadership team and their children? And he looked at me and he said, I think we can. So we took him to a place called Mamma Mia's. Go figure. <laughs> I met a man there from Berea College. A Zimbabwean. He went to Berea College. I said, I'm from Kentucky. He said, Berea College! <laughs> I said, no, I'm the pastor of the vineyard. No, I went to Berea College! The woman that owned the store said, where are you from? I said, from Richmond, Kentucky. She said, my brother went to Berea College. We're talking about two different people. It was amazing, the connection that we had. And so we fed them dinner because I knew that they would not eat well if they didn't. This is the picture. This is Bruce and I there. You can see the, the leaders in the church. There are women over there. And then right next to me is one of the men. There's men down this side. It was an L-shaped um, setup right there. And when we had our meeting, the children stayed there. But the, the women came over here and joined us because they are leaders in that church as well. And when it came time for us to go home, I knew that if they ordered a meal off that particular menu, they would not be able to eat it all. And so what happened is they, they collected 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I'm telling you, yeah. If I didn't finish my meal and I didn't, they took the leftover, put it in a box because those women right there and those kids were about to walk 17 kilometers home and they were not going to get home until after dark. And this is what home looked like. For those people that's not their white van that's the one that we were in when we went to their home group and we sang with them under the stars because there's no electricity and there's a hole in the ground for a toilet and there's a hole in the ground over there for a well and people from this whole community of thousands of people in little huts like that were putting their bucket in the water and filling their buckets and taking them back to their houses and they were some of the happiest people you've ever met in your life but they constantly were saying, will you pray for us? Hey, hey, we don't know why you're here, but will you pray for us? Will you pray God's favor on us? Will you pray that God gives me a job? These are people that live on $10 a month in a world that still costs $300 a month to try to stay alive the way you and I do. 
You gave me the opportunity to speak the truth of Christ's love and forgiveness to a people that live on $10 a month or had no work. You prayed for people in the hospital to be healed. And I'm going to tell you, this is the vineyard, and we walked into a hospital. And when I say hospital, if you get your leg cut off in a hospital, because this is what the pastor that I was with told me, they met a man who was about to have his leg amputated. But guess what? You have to bring the gauze. You have to bring the bandages. You have to bring the silk. You have to bring the needle. You have to bring the antibiotics. And you have to bring dinner for yourself for the next couple of days because nobody's going to take care of you. The doctor will do the work, but they don't have the supplies because all of the money from that company is showing up in offshore accounts of politicians of that country. $15 billion worth of diamonds sold according to Mugabe before he died and nobody knows where the money is. And so I walked into a room that was just an open room with half walls. Four beds, four beds, four beds. Walked up to an old man in his 80s that was there to have some, some sort of thing done to his leg. I don't know what it was, but he was stone cold blind. He had his little walking stick with him. Some people ushered him in, his family members. He sat down on the bed. We walked up and said, can we pray for you? And he said, yes, please. They all speak perfect British English, very proper. We popped into the hospital and we prayed for people. As we were praying for him, he started screaming, you're white people, you're white people. I can see this is a white man. And the nurse came running. She said, he's blind. He can't see. But he kept pointing to people and saying, and we were with um, other black people. He kept pointing the white people out. This is a white woman. He couldn't see. The nurse said, no, he's been here before. He can't see. He can't see this. But when we left, he could see. That was it. Now, you can say that doesn't happen. I'm the cynic. I don't know. I prayed for a man that had been mugged. He was 35 years old. Something was wrong. I believe his ribs were cracked. He couldn't pick his arm up. I said, can we pray for you? He said, yes please pray for me. I said, okay. I began to pray for him. Then I said, how do you feel? He said, no different. I said, okay, let's pray again. I said, how do you feel? He said, I can pick my arm up. And then he asked me a question. He said, who is this Jesus you keep talking about while you pray? I said, do you know who Jesus is? He said, no, I have not met this man. I said, you don't know who Jesus is? He said, no. So I asked a young man to come over and I said, on the outside chance that the words that I use don't translate into English for him, can you speak Shona to him and make it make sense? And I started in Genesis and I ran through Revelation. Well, actually, I just ran through the resurrection. And then I said, this is what it means to be in a relationship with God. Is this the life you want? He said, if your God can do that, I want this. And I want to leave this hospital different. And he surrendered his life to, to Jesus right there and became your brother and sister because Vineyard went over there and did this thing in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And we saw this happen because while we were running our race, it became important. It became important for us to recognize there were people in need. You prayed for a country where overnight the economy dropped to where the nurse... We lived in her bed and breakfast, the six of us, and she was living on $2,000 a month. 
And overnight, the economy dropped to the place where her salary was $200 a month. And she didn't know how they were going to live. Last week, Jesse talked about racing as a team. We'll talk about some of the foolish things that were said in Christendom this past week another time. But we raced as a team in Zimbabwe. We cared about their plight. They thanked us for coming and just letting us know that other people cared about them. They were not alone. It was crazy. They were not asking for money. They said, teach us about the Lord. So why did we go to Zimbabwe when we can do the same thing here? Because I believe that the words of Jesus Christ matter. I believe that when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and then told the parable that he was deadly serious. And so when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I believe he meant it. And so we will begin to move forward as a church, seeing where we can get involved globally. And we are praying to know whether Zimbabwe is going to be that place. And I will be interacting with the Vineyard Partnership of churches that are plugged into Zimbabwe and see if we need to get plugged into that as well and determine what that means. Because Paul told the church in Corinth that there comes a time when it's important for us to be aware of other people. Paul says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store and your seed. The point being that Israel, uh, excuse me, Jerusalem was under a horrible famine and Paul was running around collecting offerings, okay? Mission offerings to help the people that were in need. And we can make a difference. When we talk about running the race, it's important that we run with compassion. It's easy to kick people in the shin. It's easy to get mad at people. It's easy to do that, but we've got to run with compassion. We've got to care about the people that we're running with, and we've got to care enough to help them and to do something about it. And this video that I'm going to share with you from Barcelona in 1992 absolutely defines what it means for you and I as Christian people. And I want you to listen to the word father, torn, hurt, pain, excruciating, and all those things that you and I go through. And I want you to own this because it is such a beautiful metaphor of what it means for God to come alongside of you. There's a place there when you look at that video, when it becomes painfully, joyfully, but painfully aware to me that the man that helps him run his race is Father. And God never, it never, ever, ever is going to leave you or forsake you. Even when we struggle with him. He joined him and he helped him run the race and at the end he said finish it out and he stepped away and let him have his moment. But he was never that far from his son that when his son's hamstring tore, he couldn't run out there and be with him. And that's where God is with you and I. And that's where he's called us to be with each other. We have got to be willing to come alongside of each other. We have got to be willing to pick each other up and run with each other to help each other finish because it's, the race is not to the fastest. The race is about finishing. The invitation of Jesus Christ is not a stone. It's an invitation. The, excuse me, the gospel is not a stone. It's an invitation. 
We have seen that there are people all around us that are in need, and some of it of their own making. But our call is to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone while we are running the race. His father couldn't change the course of the race. He had to finish it running by the rules. But like Jesse said, we recognize we run as a team. Like Jack said a couple of weeks ago, we recognize that there's a storm inside of us sometimes that might cripple us. And like the scripture says, we have to run the, mark, uh, run the race marked out for us. We can't change the race. So ask God to run through, us, through the race with us. We're going to run through it. We're going to run through it. It's going to change us. We're going to have to change how we do things. As Christian people, we should look like Christian people. As people that don't know Christ, we need Jesus. We need somebody to come out onto the track and run with us. And that's what church is all about. As we do our small group study called Church Matters, that's why church matters. Because we're here to run with each other. To encourage each other, to inspire each other, and to help each other. These people are up here to pray for you. We want to pray for you. If you're struggling with something, if you're, be it of your own making, you've been fired, you're, you're, you're ashamed of something you've been through or done, it doesn't matter. You need God to run out onto the track with you, to run this race with you because he loves you. He's not mad at you. He saw it coming. And then you and I as a church are going to be making some decisions over the next couple of weeks about where we're going to be going globally and how we can come alongside other people as well. People that need our help or they're going to die. And we're going to look at that. Why don't you jump up to your feet? We're going to close in this song. And while we're singing this, you just come on up here. If there's something on your heart that you know you need to bring before God himself.